Before we get to today's episode of Off the Bench on the Wizards Podcast Network, we want to remind you to download the Wizards app on the go and in the palm of your hand. The official Washington Wizards team app is your mobile home for all things Wizards. Everything you need to know when it comes to game previews and recaps, radio broadcasts, and stats, all at the touch of a button. You can even access the Monumental Sports Network and the Wizards Podcast Network with ease. Download the official Wizards team app today. Wizards fans, welcome to another episode of the Off the Bench podcast presented by the Alibaba Group and part of the Wizards Podcast Network. I'm Jackson Filio with Zach Rosen of Wizards Digital, and today we've got Fred Katz of The Athletic. Fred, what's up, man? Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. So we're going to talk plenty of play-in here shortly, but uh, we would be doing the people a disservice if we did not allow you an opportunity to help us close the week that uh, Russell Westbrook broke the all-time triple-double record. You wrote this morning a great story about, uh, well, you didn't, I'm assuming you didn't write it all this morning. The Athletic published this morning a story about Russell and his toughness and perseverance and what Scott Brooks uh, called his seek-and-destroy mentality. Um, you've covered Russ for a long time. What, what in reporting this story uh, kind of made you stop and go, oh, you know, I, I didn't know that. Or, ah, that's interesting, I should say. <laughs> there we go. Way to work the Russ meme into this. Uh, man, so, you know, when I, when I went to set out to write this story, you, you knew that Russ was this kind of, for lack of a better word, maniacal competitor, right? I mean, it's all anybody who plays with him ever talks about. I mean, it's all the Wizards talk about, which is how, whether they're referencing how he changes their culture, how he pushes Rui and Beal talks about how he 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 gave him a different outlook on the game and how he pushed him, right? No matter who the player, it's all based on the fact that he is this obsessive worker and ridiculously committed competitor amongst elitely competitive people. And so we knew those traits. And what I kind of wanted to do is like, I wanted to last dance him. You know, I wanted to just tell and as many anecdotes as I could about, all right but here's why people say this stuff about him. Just here's why he's ridiculously competitive. And so the ones where I was like, ah, that's interesting are the stories that I heard that I thought were really funny uh, in the course. Like I knew I was going to get anecdotes about him being ridiculously injured and playing anyway. I, I knew if I set to find those, I'd be able to find those. I knew they existed. Uh, and I knew I was going to be able to get anecdotes uh, even though I think there are some really fun ones in there about times where he just destroyed video coordinators in practice and stuff. But I, I knew those stories existed and, and there was a chance I'd be able to find those. The stuff that I thought was hilarious was the parking spot stuff that he's just incredibly obsessed, or at least in OKC. I don't know if this is true with the Wizards, but in OKC, he was just obsessed with his own parking spot. And if you parked in his spot, if anyone parked in his spot, he was going to block you in. And I thought that was hilarious. And, and I, I thought the Cameron Payne anecdote where he made Cameron Payne go to a gas station and buy him a, an Apple Snapple, not any Snapple, an Apple Snapple before every road trip and bring it to the airport to meet him there. And then later in the year, he told Payne, this was Payne's rookie year, later in the year, he told Payne, I, I don't care about Snapple. I just wanted to make sure you were on time. Uh, 
I just think that's a great insight into how he thinks and this really like honestly unique way in which he leads, which is not him just saying, you got to get here on time. I'm on time. You got to get on time. He just kind of warps people's minds in these weird ways. And I'm dying to know, dying to know why Apple Snapple. That's like my number one question from this story. Why Apple Snapple? I mean, have you had one? They're fantastic. <laughs> but he, he wasn't drinking them. So it well, could have been anything. Somebody must have liked them. Yeah. I mean, the other, the I other campaign thing that I absolutely loved, I actually laughed at it when, when I read it, was this you, you detailed them kind of going back and forth when it comes to arrival times. And, you know, people go read the story, but, you know, Cam finally gets in there earlier than him. And that doesn't last. Russ. Russ then jumps him and starts getting in earlier again. And it, I forget the exact wording in the line, but just the fact that Cam was like, yeah, I never figured out what time yeah. he got me. I never asked. And like, just, he didn't bother to ask. I don't know if he didn't want to ask whatever it was. He just, he's like, okay, Russ jumped me. That's it. I give up. You know, I, that, that's a great call because uh, one of the things when you're writing a feature is like a story like this is all in the details. Right. And you want to be able to find. So I asked him like, what, what time, if you were beating him by getting there at seven something, I figured he has to have gotten there at six something, right? Which is absurd for an 11 a.m. practice that you would just show up four and a half hours early. Uh, also, but it's very in character. And so I asked Cam, like, when was he getting there if he beat you? And Cam was just like, I don't know. And I was like, how do I write this? And I was like, you know what? This is one of those weird moments where I feel like it's, it's better if we don't know. Just like leave it to myth leave it to legend and just let the reader's mind wander. Like, I don't know when he arrived. Cam doesn't know when he arrived. It might've been too. <laughs> he might've been there since when he might've slept there. Like who in the world knows, just leave it to all of our imagination. And the reader knows as well as I do. Well, and Russ is kind of like known for, he says like, I, I need like six hours of sleep. Like I'm not like a guy who oversleeps. If I oversleep, I like, I'm almost like too tired the next day or um, I lose my energy. I lose my edge. So none of that surprises me. I mean, I'm assuming he goes to bed at midnight and wakes up at six and he literally wakes up saying, I need to be campaigned to the practice facility. That's all that matters right now. Yeah. I mean, I feel like his, his life is kind of this series of micro battles. Uh, I think he's very narrow mindedly competitive in that sense. All right. Today, I'm going to win this practice. And then tomorrow I'm going to win the next practice. And then the next day when we have a game, not only am I going to win that game, but when I go through warmups and I'm doing post-up drills with Robert Pack, I am going to beat Robert Pack. I'm going to destroy this 55 year old coach in warmups. Uh, and so I, I think, I, I, I think that's just kind of how he approaches competition Every single thing. I think he makes things that aren't competitions, competitions. And I think that's how he just approaches so many things in life. And unquestionably, that is how he approaches everything he does on the court. A very athletic and physically capable 55-year-old coach. That is for Robert. Yeah. Let's not. And Robert Pack was a hell of a defender. Robert um, Pack was a great defender. Yeah. Let's talk some playing. Uh, we've got a few days left in the regular season. As of right now, we're recording this on Thursday. The Wizards are currently in 10th after a, a loss to the, the Hawks on Wednesday night. 
Um, and the scenario for them is pretty simple when it comes to clinching a play-in spot. They just need to win one of their two remaining regular season games on Friday or Sunday against the Cavs or Hornets, or have the Bulls lose one of their three remaining games uh, in the regular season. So the only scenario in which the Wizards would not qualify for the play-in would be is if they lost out and if the Bulls won out. And just it should be noted the Bulls are going to close. They play tonight, Thursday night, against the Raptors, and then they have games against the Nets and Bucks. So it's a tough road for the Bulls. But um, just kind of going over some more uh, top-level stuff here, I'm, I'm pulling from the basketball reference playoff probability uh, rating system they have. They have the Wizards at a 5% chance of qualifying for the play-in at the eight seed, a 31% chance of jumping up one spot for the nine seed, a 63% chance of staying put at the 10 seed, and then a 0.7% chance of the scenario that shall not be named. But um, let's let's look forward a little bit and uh, just starting kind of with the structure, Fred, of of the play-in and how the Wizards fit into it. What do you what do you make of the Wizards' suitability for a playoff of this format? You know, I don't know yet. I haven't I haven't deciphered yet. I would think that it they should be well suited because when you look at the other teams they could potentially match up against, whether it's Indiana in a game one and then maybe Charlotte in a game two or something especially against those two teams. I mean, they're going to have the two best players on the floor. Uh, and, and, you know, you look at how hot they are, you know, normally going into a playoff series, I try to look at the overall, the overall resume from a full season, as long as a team has its, its full healthy roster. Right. And you try to go into that and you think, okay, how'd they do over the 82? Cause often if you look at the head to head stuff, it, you know, every once in a while, like the We Believe Warriors, uh, you know, whenever it was 14 years ago, they they had won the season series against Dallas and the Warriors were an eight seed and Dallas was a one. And that showed you something about what could happen in that series. For the most part, though, if a team is much better than another team, it tends to show over the course of a play of, of a playoff series. This year has been so weird and wacky. The Wizards season has been so weird and wacky inside an entire league season that's been so weird and wacky that I'm kind of more prone for like a one game playing situation. It's just like the team that's hotter has the advantage and they've won 15 out of 21. The losses, except for that one, which was over a month ago now against Phoenix, which is a great team on the second night of a back-to-back on the road. Every loss has been by effectively one possession, right? Like that Hawks loss last night was a one possession game. Basically they're playing extremely well. So I tend to think you're playing well. You have the two best players in the game. I, I think that sort of single elimination format is, is I'm going to take the NCAA tournament theory, you know, just go with who's got the hot hand and, and move forward. So, you know, I would think they would, they would do okay. But that said, being, being in the 10 seed and, and potentially having to play two on the road is not the best and, and having to win twice is obviously a massive disadvantage, uh, you know, as opposed to potentially where they still have the possibility of getting up to, getting up to eight and, and only having to win one time. Well, and I think obviously Beal's health is a, a big question. I mean, he's going to be reevaluated on Friday and, you know, do we know if he plays this weekend? 
he's never been one who really needs to reacclimate slowly or anything. Like he's just going to jump right in and be himself more likely than not. I mean, he scored 50 basically on a leg and a half the other night. So there's not really a concern there, uh, but from past history, but you don't know with a hamstring, it could be re-aggravated and, and, and all that stuff. But um, when it, when you look at just the format of the play in and, and what it's going to be like, even with 25% capacity or 50, depending on where it is. I mean, what's your excitement level, even, you know, take away the wizards, but the whole play in itself as a basketball fan. I was, I was very anti-plan. I was, I was the huge curmudgeon who was like, nah, if a seven seed is eight games better than another team, how could you possibly take them away? Cause they lost once. I was that guy like adjusting my, my nerdy broken glasses and talking down to all the fun people. Uh, and, and now I'm one of the fun people I'm gone. Glasses are gone. I'm taking off my shirt, throwing it away. And I'm in playing spring break. I'm going crazy. I, I, it's, it's, it's a really good thing. I was completely wrong. The, the, the league was right to do it. It's a really good thing. It's made the final few weeks of the season significantly more entertaining there are all of these mini races going on. You know, there's, there's the race for sixth and then there's the race for eighth and then there's the race for 10th and it's happening in both conferences. And there's even like the, the, the mini race of who's going to get seventh and get the home court in the, in the, in the better playing game and who's going to get ninth and get home court in the lesser playing game. And it's, uh, it's made the final few weeks way more fun. And ultimately you know, a seven or eight seed, unless you get, you know, I guess the, the 99 Knicks are your one exception to this where the 99 Knicks are an eight seed that go to the finals. But that was also an exceptional situation because that was a lockout year. And that team was way better than an eight seed. And it was a shortened season. It was 50 games. That team would not have been an eight seed if it was longer than 50, if it was longer than 50 in a normal 82 game season. So for the most part, your seven seed, your eight seed, maybe they win a playoff series if they get really, you know, if they're historic. Uh, but for the most part, it's not really going to matter. And you're adding excitement to the regular season. You're adding a fun thing that you're going into. So, like, I'm down. I, I like it. I'm good with it. And I I think it'll be fun. What I mean, Zach, what do you think? I've, I've always been for it. I mean, regardless of the seven, eight, I mean, at the end of the day, like it's not like you're one or two and having to play in these games, like you're still seventh in your conference. I mean, look at, I know baseball has expanded playoffs the last couple of years and especially last year, but like baseball, you have to be like one of five teams in the entire national or American league uh, football. They just expanded it, which, you know, I don't love, but uh, it's still like, it's still less than half. So it makes sense to have the 12 team, like having 12 teams be locked in. And then these other teams are basically in a wild card situation. Um, I know it seems like the teams that fall to seven have been complaining a lot more. Um, but like, there's a reason you're not top six. And um, it looks like it's going to end up like where, yeah, the Lakers might be seven and it might not be great, but like, look what they went through and they still finished seventh with their injuries. Um, the Celtics are probably going to be seven at this point or eight even. And do they deserve to be top six? Probably not. I think the Heat and Knicks have, and the Hawks have played themselves into that. Um, yeah, it's going to vary by year. Some teams are going to get screwed, but it happens in every sport. And when you're in in a, in a league that doesn't depend on division championships except for tiebreakers now, um, I think this is these are kind of the risks you have to take. And 
Um, you know, we don't like to use the T word a lot in the NBA uh, team circles with uh, tanking, but like, look at what it's done for that. There are so many less teams full out tanking and um, hurting kind of, you know, the game, the watchability of the league. I think Sunday uh, there's, there's not as many like exciting games, but leading up to Sunday, 80 or 69 out of the 70 games for most teams are going to be like really important. So that's a win. I know Jackson feels the same way. He's pretty pro playing. I love it. I think it's going to be the best four days of, of the season. I think it's going to be better than the first round of the playoffs. I think it's, it's just going to be awesome. Like you can't ask for a better viewing scenario um, than that. I mean, it's going to be bonkers work-wise, but that's a different story. Um, I, I think, and it, it accomplishes two things, Fred, you, you covered it really well. The multiple layers of races that it, uh, it does the race for, you know, the, the top seeds, the race to, to get to six, the race to be seven or eight instead of nine and 10, all sorts of different things like that. But it also in theory assures that the teams that get those seven and eight spots are again, in theory, playing the best at that moment. And it kind of, does its best to eliminate a scenario where a floundering seven or eight seed that has lost seven of 10 games. And by the end of the season has gone through the opposite of what the wizards have gone through this year um, qualifies and, and gets obliterated in the first round. I think ask around the league, people would want to see the wizards as the seven or eight seed play against one of these, these top teams. And it, it gives, it gives the league a chance to have teams that are peaking late no doubt peaking late. That's not what you want as a team. You want a, a full season of proper basketball, but ask any coach. And they said, we want to be playing our best basketball at the end of the season as the playoffs approach. And, it, you know, if there's a team that's way, way, way better, but could only get to 10 after a slow start, but we know, we know in the bottom of our hearts that that 10 seed would be way, way more interesting than a floundering seven or eight, then good, then good. Let's make the playoffs as, as good as they possibly can. Um, and you know, as, as we, we know that race is, is going to come down to kind of the last day here. I, I think a gift from the schedule gods was that Hornets wizards game. The league actually just announced Thursday morning that it's going to be played at 1 PM. So a, a lot of those play in centric play in involved games are all going to be played around the same time on Sunday afternoon. And that one's going to be, that one's going to be really, really fun, Fred. I don't, I don't know. Go ahead. Oh no, that game, that game's going to be amazing. All I was going to say was, I know Zach is going to get this reference. I don't know how many Wizards fans listen to this podcast will, but do you think Eric Collins is going to survive that game? Eric Collins is the Hornets play-by-play guy and is the loudest, most energetic. He basically calls games. I mean, I, I absolutely love him. He is he is just incredible. He he is the Russell Westbrook of play-by-play announcers. He has the most relentless energy of any play-by-play guy I've ever heard in my life. Is he gonna Zach? Is he gonna survive that game if it's for eighth place? They they better just have some uh, defibrillators on hand, man. Like he is. I I mean Sunday. It depends. The play-in games. I don't know if he's gonna survive, but you know. <laughs> If the Hornets make it to the first round and they and they win like one of those games against a really good team, he's going to be going nuts. And and obviously the first round is the only round that uh, the the regional channels have the you know can still broadcast after that. When you go into the conference semis, it's all national. So uh, he's going to be going crazy. Uh, the playing games are regional as well, we believe, right? I mean, they must be considering 
We we've just this the play in is like the purgatory. It's not regular season. It's not playoffs. Like we don't really know what it is. None of the stats matter. It's just like <laughs> you're just playing a game. Uh, you might score sixty. You know it won't qualify for anything. It's not your playoff career high or your regular season career high. It's your play in career high. Well, and I think it's kind of interesting to compare it to what the vibes would be of a game seven. Like there's going to be such a suddenness and intensity to it because these it's not you're not going to be coming off six games of playing against the same team and knowing the matchup and intricacies yeah you will have played a team recently especially if there's a, a wizards hornet situation where they're doubling back from um their regular season finale pretty quickly but it's going to be so sudden it's going to be so quick it's going to feel so unpredictable and in a one game setting i just i don't think anybody really knows what to expect in that setting. But in terms of the Wizards putting themselves in a position to best succeed, Fred, over these last two games, Cavs, Hornets, Friday, Sunday, um, aside from getting Bradley Beal healthy and winning a game to clinch this actual play-in spot, what, what, do you, what do you need to see the Wizards do to, to make yourself feel a little bit better about their chance to succeed in a play-in? Well, I, I would just, I'm very curious to see how they're going to stabilize the rotation. Because every single team does it in the playoffs. I know Scott Brooks constantly talks about how he likes the three centers and all of that. But ultimately, you come to a playoff game, you come to a must win game. You know, you just talked about the play in being like a game seven. It's almost going to, I feel like it's going to feel like, uh, like Thursday, Friday in the NCAA tournament. You know, that really excited first, exciting first two days of the tournament where teams win or they're out and they lose, you know, they, they win and they're in, they lose, they're out. I feel like it's going to feel like that. And, you know, you get into those sorts of must-win situations and a rotation shrinks. You just, you play your best players. If Bradley Beal's healthy, he doesn't play 36 minutes like he normally does. He plays 38 or 40. You know, that's just, that's what happens. And I am just so curious to see how they're going to stabilize the rotation because, because they haven't really, in some instances, they haven't really had the chance to do it because right at the time where they could start to do it, Beal goes out with the hamstring. And in other cases, they've, they've chosen not to, you know, uh, like they're still playing three centers. And I just, I, I feel like you get to a playoff scenario and you're going to want to play your best guys the most minutes, whether that's Daniel Gafford getting more, um, or whomever else. And, you know, Brooks goes to certain guys away from other guys and he's, he's going to pick and choose based on the matchup and based on the scenario and based on who's playing well. But I'm, that to me is going to be one of the most interesting kind of micro storylines is, is who the wizards choose is these are the guys we feel like we're going to rely on. And these are the guys we feel like who can, who can help us, the most because because they basically have cycled in and out of like 11 throughout the year and you can probably go with a nine-man rotation in the playoffs if you want to and you can go with a two-center rotation too one of my favorite possible postseason subplots is so stupid but ish smith only has 14 career playoff games and i think he's been on 14 nba teams <laughs> it's just like he's such a crazy stat that is amazing. He's been on 11 NBA teams because he's played for three of them twice. There you go. So he's been on 14 different uh, teams in that way then with different rosters. Um, but yeah, I always like, I remember when the wizards made the playoffs in 16, 17, it was the first time Markeith Morris and Jason Smith maybe had ever been on a playoff team. So I always love those, those little subplots. Um, Doesn't, Am I making this up? I feel like I should know the answer. It's my job to know about the Wizards, but I guess it's your guys too. 
doesn't doesn't Alex Len have the most games yes. played right now? I think Alex Len has has played the most games of any active player who has never played a playoff game. I th- think it was Omri Caspi before Len, but Caspi's not in the league right now. Correct. Yeah, no, I think it is Len because if you go to his basketball reference page, he has no playoff stats. So that's a much better stat than the Ish Smith one. Um, but I thought the Ish Smith one was just kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I think you're looking at the rotation. Just speaking of that, I mean, it, it's also going to come down to guys who are not scared. And like, there are some guys on the fringe of the rotation who like Garrison Matthews isn't going to be scared of anything or anyone. Like he's the kind of guy that you really love to have. Same with Meadow. Um, some of these guys who might have as, as much playoff experience or elimination game experience. And, you know, we've seen what Russ and Brad have done in the playoffs you know, a lot of times Scott Brooks is no stranger to the playoffs. So I think that benefits them uh, compared to some of these other teams, like the Pacers head coach has never been in the, uh, a playoff coach. Uh, you look at the Hornets. I mean, were they even, have they been to the playoffs under Borrego? I don't even think so. Maybe no. Kemba. No. So um, obviously the Celtics have experience, but they're just, <laughs> they're missing Jalen Brown, which is basically like 30% of their offense. So, um, I think that that advantage goes to the Wizards. But Fred, let's think super optimistically here because that's what we do on Wizards podcasts. Um, who do you think, you know, what's your order of like that top three? Who do you think the Wizards would have the most favorable matchup against and then from favorable to least favorable? Yeah, so I'd say the most favorable would, would be Indiana just because it, it feels like they're kind of cratering. You know, there are all the reports about what's going on in their locker room. And I think a Miles Turner list Indiana team is just, you know, I, there's a reason the Wizards are three and zero against that team, you know, and they obviously played them really close the last time, but I think that's a nightmare matchup for Indiana. The Wizards offense is so predicated on getting, and this is under the assumption that Beal is healthy, obviously, but the Wizards offense is so predicated on getting Russ and Beal to the rim because they don't have a lot of shooting and the way that they run smoothly is they get out in transition or Russ and Beal barrel at the rim in the half court and they get to the line and they score around the paint or they're able to draw defenders in and they're able to kick out for threes and that kind of stuff. And so much of Indiana's defense is Miles Turner's ability, not just to block shots, but to scare people out of the paint, to alter shots when guys are there. I mean, he's a really excellent defender. I mean, he's a, I don't know if he'll, he'll be an all defense defender for me when I vote this year, but he's an all defense caliber defender. Like I don't have a problem with somebody voting for him. He's, he's a really great defensive player. Like he's leading the league in blocks per game. And when they don't have him, it just changes the dynamic and their transition defense is not, is not great either. And so I, I think that's a team that, that matches up well for the wizards who, who average the fewest seconds per possession off of defensive rebounds in the league right now. That's, that's per impredictable.com. Uh, and so I think that works out well for them. I, I would, I, you know, Boston is just so unpredictable and weird and no Jalen Brown really hurts them. The defense is they were a top five defense this last year and it's totally fallen off. And I, I don't know. I still think I would take the Hornets. I would rather play the Hornets than the Celtics, even though there's no Jalen Brown, even though Boston just hasn't been close to the team it was last year just because Brad Stevens is going to find ways to strategically maneuver 
that team into being better than it is. Jason Tatum, in a play-in scenario, like Jason Tatum can just go for 60, you know? And and Charlotte, I, LaMelo is going to be unfreaking believable He is going to be amazing. But he's a rookie. That's a team without the playoff experience, really, that you mentioned. And they're young, and they've got some young players who I really like. Uh, but, you know, Hayward's been hurt for a long time. And and that's that's a team that just it doesn't put the scare in me as much as Boston might because you know, Jason Tatum can just he can just win you a game the same way that Russ can just win you a game and Beal can just win you a game Tatum can just win you a game you know so I'll go Hornets two and, and Boston three. It's kind of fun to juxtapose what's happening in the East play-in situation with the West play-in situation where over there it's. It's chaos. You know, you've got the Lakers, the defending champions, slipping down to the seven seed. Steph Curry and the Warriors are going to be involved in it. You've got teams that are loaded with young talent that are going to be involved in it. And in the East, it just kind of feels like, okay, well, these are the teams that over the course of the season played this well, and this is where they belong. And that's about where they'd rank in terms of caliber. And I think what's happening in the East this year is probably the more likely scenario going forward in terms of how these play-ins are going to play out over the course of regular seasons but man when you look at the four teams that hypothetically here could be involved in the east plane it's really fun it's not the it's not the the big headlining names like lakers and warriors and stuff like that but in terms of play style just look at these these recent pacers wizards games you know what i mean and and i I think the the wizards hornets matchup earlier this year like they're just they're fast-paced they're fun there's young exciting talent and then i mean my god if you're just rooting for narrative i don't I don't think Boston and Washington DC are, are prepared for what would happen having those two teams meet in a single elimination game where one could be out and over and, and done with. I think narrative wise, that's just, I mean, you can't ask for anything more. I don't know if St. Louis is ready for that. <laughs> Beal versus Tatum as well as just, as just the extra thing to do. I mean, look, the, the NBA has got to be really thrilled about how this has worked out for the teams. Cause you could get, you get Wizards Celtics potentially either in a seven, eight game or, or in that, you know, elimination game for whoever gets the eight seed, you could get Warriors Lakers in the West playing game. Like that, that is a, that is maybe the most likely possibility for the seven, eight game in the West Curry versus LeBron in a play in like, who's not going to watch that. It's it's going to be that will be absolutely bonkers. So I I can't imagine. I mean, look, I guess you're gambling a little bit because you'd rather ensure that LeBron is in the playoffs because you don't want to if you're the league, you don't want to lose LeBron for all the playoffs. But in terms of just pure excitement of the play in and raising play in awareness, uh, what's going to do better for that than Curry versus LeBron, you know? And then you get some exciting East games. I mean, it could, could be, it it could be really good. It could be really good. Let's say the Wizards, you know, they win through the play-in, whether they play one game or two games. Um, that means they would they would either play Philly, Brooklyn, or Brooklyn, possibly Milwaukee, but most likely Philly or Brooklyn. Where do you see those matchups? You know, how they favor Washington. Um, and kind of, you know, do you think they, they would have a legitimate chance to win either series? I would, I would say no. I mean, those are really good teams, ridiculously good teams. 
I, the Nets have been my pick to win the finals all year. And now that Harden is back, they're definitely that for me. They just have an overwhelming amount of talent. But I think specifically the Wizards might have a better chance against Brooklyn than they would against Philly, just because Embiid would scare the living hell out of me. I mean, he he is so great, and I think he matches up against the Wizards in a way that would just benefit him tremendously. I, I could just see him absolutely going off in a series against the Wizards, and he's so difficult to guard, so difficult to control down low. And so you want to turn him into a jump shooter. That's your best-case scenario. But now he makes every jump shot. Or he puts the ball on the floor against you and faces you up. I mean, his face-up game is – people talk about his post-game. His face-up game from 20 feet out or from 15 feet out is unbelievable now. I mean, he he's just kind of the perfect – center. Uh, and, you know, I talked about the Wizards offense being so predicated on being able to get to the rim and then creating from the paint or scoring from the paint. Well, good luck doing that when Embiid is on the floor because nobody scores and creates. I mean, you want to, I said, Miles Turner is all defense caliber. Well, you want to tell me that Embiid is the best defensive player of the year and I'm not, the best defensive player in the league. And I'm not going to argue that that's a perfect valid opinion he's he's an absolute force defensively so i could just see him really taking over a series to that degree uh whereas i don't think anybody can match the nets star power but you know maybe for seven games you know a a team with uh you know russell westbrook and bradley beal can can try its best and the nets have their defensive issues and um you know those those three guys have played like what eight games together all year so you know that that to me is is maybe the uh better matchup for the wizards but i i wouldn't pick them in any series in either series well and i think uh the other thing with with philly and this this is what i was going to say about boston which is i know it's kind of silly because we don't know the percentage of fans and capacity but Boston has one of the best home court advantages in the league. So that's probably the main reason I would put them at the lowest of not wanting to play them if I was the Wizards. And then Philly's home court is ridiculous. They've had the best home court in the East the past, what, five years or so. Um, so that goes into it too, I think. Uh, Brooklyn, it's just, it's not the same. It's not the Knicks. And, and we know that. I think the Nets home games have gotten a lot, you know, rowdier and and better and, and a difficult place to to play, but it's kind of like the Clippers versus the Lakers. It's, it's just, it's not the same. So it, uh, that factors into it too. And you think about all the Philly fans in the DC area and, and that as well. I think you got to factor that into it. Um, so it, it doesn't look like Milwaukee's going to catch Brooklyn now that Harden's back and, and all that. So, uh, it, it'll be interesting. I think it's going to be tough for any of these teams in the play in to beat those two teams though. It's not just a, a, a wizard's problem. Yeah. Philly, when the world is normal, and we're traveling with the team and going to games and the arenas are filled up. Philly is like right up there. One of my favorite places to watch a game. I love that crowd. That crowd is for fro- vicious. For Frosties, right? <laughs> for the Frosties. Only when they're free. Yes, exactly. Only when they're free. That, that, that crowd is vicious. So there's a reason the Frosty story happened there. That crowd is, that's a, that's, it's probably a top five crowd in the league, right? When the world is normal. No doubt. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's Knicks, Lakers, Sixers, 
for me, I'd say. And Utah, yeah, Por- those four, those Por- are the top. Portland's, four. Portland and OKC. Yeah, really those get, are good. Can get wild also. Yeah, well, there, there's definitely a tier. Well, look, I think the best thing about this this play in tournament is that it encourages and, and welcomes optimism from just about everybody. And before the Wizards get into the play-in, before they get into any one of these hypothetical playoff situations against one of the East's top teams, they got to take care of some business here to close out the regular season. Like we said, they need a win either Friday against the Cavs or Sunday against the Hornets or lost by the Bulls in any of, of their three games. But Fred, this was this was awesome, man. This was a great primer for what should be a fantastic, fun final weekend, and then hopefully a an exciting play in birth. Everybody, go read read Fred's story on the Athletic this morning on Russ and uh, and Fred. Thanks, man, for joining us. This was great. Thanks for having me, guys.